Father God, we're just so, first of all, blessed and honored to be in your house, Father God. What an opportunity to be here on such a glorious, glorious day, to watch how you have watered this land and, and taken care of it the last couple of days, and then to come into your house today and see this beautiful sun shining and just uh, getting to bathe in it is an awesome thing. We're so thankful for that, that we live uh, with your blessing, Father God. We ask for this day that you would watch over the tithe that come into the house, Father God, that you would have your hand over it and that it would be used in a manner that you desire, Father God, to further your kingdom in this community, to, to reach the lost, to help the less fortunate, Father God, and just to be a blessing here on this land. And we're so thankful for what you've given us. You've given us this building. You gave us this land. What a testimony, Father God. Father God, we also want to reach out to those that uh, maybe because of whatever reason just aren't able to give right now, that you would be able to move in their lives so they too can know the joy of giving, Father God. We'll ask all these things in your precious old name we pray. Amen. So uh, again, it's just a, a wonderful opportunity to bring up Brady Webster to the stage for you guys today. Uh, I want to give a shout out that we're Always got more coming. You know, we've got Jamie coming, and I'm going to point out my brother Laz over here who's been preaching in Rush. Y'all encourage him. Uh, he might be the next voice up. Come on up, Laz. I'm just kidding. You're next. Come on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Brady's got something great for you. When it's Laz's time, he's going to bring something great as well. Come on up, brother. Hello, hello. Good morning. All right. I'm not going to ask how you're feeling because, as we all know, it's not about your feelings, right? Okay, is everybody ready for the proclamation of God's word? Because that's a real thing and it's big. Let's lift it up in prayer. Father, we're thankful. We are grateful for your son, for Jesus Christ, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the savior, the author, and the perfecter of our souls the one whose blood was shed for the remission of sins, that while we were yet sinners that erected a cross in the name of our sin, you commanded your love toward us to offer a way into heaven to the Father who was holy, holy, holy. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and not forsake the assembling in your name. We pray these things, amen. All right, so we've been in a series called Worship, and this is the 479th week of that series. I think this is eight. That's, that's two months, two months worth of this series, which is good. Uh, I've loved it. I told Pastor that, you know, I love the Old Testament. I love the New Testament. There's something really special about seeing Jesus in the Old Testament uh, that can help ignite a fire to want to know more and to want to read more and these generations and uh, just the, the breadth and depth of the Old Testament is really special. Amen. Okay, so who all was here last week? Just real quick by show of hands. <laughs> Were y'all? <laughs> okay, so uh, at the end of the sermon series, pastor uh, gave us homework. So just slide your papers to the right to the person on your right, I'll, I'll pick those up. I'm gonna go through those two Psalms he asked us to read, but I'm gonna high cap real quick where we've been on this journey in this sermon series. So it's called worship. Do you remember why it's called worship? Moses goes to Pharaoh 
and says, let my people go so they can worship me. Some translations say serve. Do you know that serve is an act of, serving is an act of worship? Did you know that? You do now. <laughs> okay, so when we connect with God through our worship, through our service, through the many different methods of how we worship, it brings what? Peace. It brings peace. Okay, so pastor has talked to us about the things that get in the way of that peace. Using the children of Israel as an example, because they just do such a good job at what you're not supposed to do. But we forget that our place in the stories, if we're eisegeting, which is reading ourselves into the story, we're not David, we're the children of Israel whining. Complaining. So the children of Israel were complaining in the desert, which is crazy because they'd come out of Egypt in an emphatic way. I'll talk more about that in a minute. They were complaining. The sea, the Red Sea split. And regardless of what science story would, were to tell you about tides and low water and whatever, sandbars, doesn't matter because the Bible says that the children of Israel walked across on dry, on dry land on dry land. And maybe you remember the little story of little Johnny, how his teacher's telling him that. The Israelites crossed and yeah, it probably happened, yes, but it was probably due to the lunar cycles, the rising of the tides, and there was a sandbar there. And he goes, that's even more amazing. She's like, how is that amazing? Because he drowned the Egyptians in two inches of water. <laughs> Anytime you hear pastor mention little Johnny, he's setting up a joke. But they crossed, the, they crossed the Red Sea in an emphatic way. The water came down, killed the Egyptians. Fear. Fear is the next one. And the illustration used was the spy seeing the giants. There are giants in the land, which was a way to block the peace of God. Why? Because the covenant was already that this is the land that I will give you. So it's yours to lose, children of Israel. They didn't have to ask how to lose it. They just naturally come by the way of how to lose their blessing. This, all of the tribes represented, they, they brought spies from all the different tribes. And only two came back with a report. The land is good. It is flowing with milk and honey. Everybody else lo looking through their fleshly eyes saw giants roaming in the land. And they were scared. Said, there's no way we can defeat them. So over and over in the Old Testament, you have this, what's called the apostasy cycle, where they've done wrong, they repent, the Lord blesses, they do wrong, they it's over and over and over. Here's another example. And then the next one was dishonoring or familiarity. And the story pastor talked about was Miriam and Aaron. Those are Moses' older siblings, challenged his authority. So what, what do we know about authority? Authority is all God-given. All authority is God-given. Jesus tells that to Pilate when he questions him in his court. All authority is God-given. So if you challenge authority, if you challenge that and buck up against that authority that is in your life, it's God-given. So recognize that. Miriam was struck with leprosy for seven days because of it to teach her a lesson. 
In Moses, really what we've been learning about Moses is the, the picture in our minds is the parting of the Red Sea. Maybe Charlton Heston, but maybe for some of the old saints, it's humility. Because when these stiff-necked, rotten, complaining, whining people would complain or do something to kindle God's anger toward them, Moses would always hit his face and pray for these people. He's a good example of humility and loving others in servant leadership. And then last week we got to covetousness is something that blocks the peace of God and your connection with God is covetousness. That's a big one. It's, it made the top 10 list. And maybe somebody is thinking, well, we're under grace now. We're under grace now, brother, that's the law. Can I tell you it's still good to not covet? It's still good to not murder? It's still good to not commit adultery? There's seven more. It's still good to not do those things. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow from everlasting to everlasting. His word never changes. How he interacts with his people does, but it doesn't mean that's removed from the table. My cousin used to always say, in the throne room of God, the angels aren't saying love, 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 like this world wants us to believe and compromise. We'll get into that a bit, but he's, they're saying holy, holy, holy. And, and because God is holy, he's a righteous judge. He can't look on us in our sin and pronounce a judgment of innocent and allow us into heaven because he's holy. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. He's our mediator. His blood covers all our sin. And that's what the Lord sees, his goodness. So the rebellion of Korah is what pastor talked about last week to illustrate covetousness through gainsaying and usurping the Lord's chosen. So Korah got two other leaders and they approached and challenged Aaron and Moses' leadership of the people of Israel. So again, all authority is what given? God given. So who was he really challenging? You made a mistake and that's the voice of the serpent. Always recognize that because the voice of the serpent always seeks to twist God's word. Always. Yeah, I have, I, 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 my spiritual gift is getting off topic. So. <clears throat> So in the rebellion of Korah, and then we had a verse from, from Jude that pastor used to build the transition to this week and to keep the sermon series going because it's important. So in Jude, you have this reference, woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Pastor covered the rebellion of Korah and you know, to pay him back, the earth opened up and swallowed him. Crazier things will happen in the story I tell you today. <laughs> but Cain, Cain slew his brother out of a covetous heart. His offering wasn't accepted by the Lord and he killed his brother. And the error of Balaam is what we're gonna talk about. But before I get there, pastor's homework to us was to read these two Psalms. And the reason he asked us to read these two Psalms is because the rebellion of Korah paints Korah as a rebellious 
usurper, bad guy. But the sons of Korah is who these Psalms are written to honor. It says it in the little preamble to the Psalm. You have Psalm 42 and then 84. We'll read 42 first. And it opens with, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. And you'll recognize these words. As the deer pants for water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his continence. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my continence and my God. And Psalms are intended to be saying. In Psalm 84, we have a similar Psalm that is, it talks about, uh, it's, it's written in reference to the sons of Korah, but it's talking about uh, a, a dark time. And it has these words, and I'm not gonna read the whole Psalm, that's for you, you can read that, it's Psalm 84 but it's these words, and this is out of the Amplified Version because it says it so beautifully. It's talking about passing through the valley of weeping. They make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, increasing in victorious power. Each of them appears before God in Zion. Point here is the sons of Korah were the sons of a rebellious usurper. So we look at the Old Testament and really bloodlines that do that, they don't, it doesn't work out very well for them. But here you have honor in the Psalms of David being written in the name of the sons of Korah. So when you think of generational curses, it appears that they broke, amen? Okay, back to our story. That was all in addition because y'all didn't do your homework. Jude 11 says, woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain, killed his brother, have run greedily in the area of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Okay, so we're talking about Balaam, all right? So if you'll go to Numbers 22, it's in the first five books of the Bible. So these are the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And this is what everyone in Israel would have been accustomed to. They would have known these stories left and right. This would have been part of their culture. And for those that name the name of Christ, this is part of our heritage too. For the Jew first, then the Gentile. We're all Gentiles. 
to my knowledge in here. Balaam was a prophet. He's also called a diviner. In short, Balaam was a witch. So before we get to any of the story, it's not gonna go well for Balaam because God's word never returns back void. But if you go into the Levitical law, it says, I will not suffer a witch to live. Exclamation point. Okay, so you have, I'll introduce the characters. You have, you have Balak on this side, you have Balaam on this side, and you have the children of Israel in the middle. Are you ready? Are you ready? No. <clears throat> and Balak is scared. Balak is the king of Moab. Moab is to the east of the Dead Sea today. I think it's modern day Jordan, uh, parts of it. But it's east of the Red Sea and the children of Israel, they're camped along the border of Moab. So Balaam's, Balak sees this and he's scared. Why is he scared? Well, because these are the people that they, they ran to ruins a, a god. In the pagan world, Pharaoh was considered a god. With seven plagues that came, all those plagues were in direct response to a god Egypt worshiped. And they, they, they didn't just leave as slaves, like they didn't sneak out the back door. They won emphatically, emphatically. What I mean by that? I mean that Pharaoh honored the children of Israel on the way out the door after they had killed his son. God killed his firstborn son. They gave them jewelry. They gave them prestige. They gave them everything they would need in the wilderness. They, they showered them with gifts and Egypt was a rich land. So they walked out the door and then what happened? Well, Pharaoh's heart changes and he goes after them. He's gonna kill them. Now he's angry. And then we have the perfect picture in your head for who Moses is and he's, you know, he parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land and then they chase and it collapses and kills all the Egyptians, okay? And then you have conquering after conquering in the name of the Lord. He's protected and blessed Israel and nobody can stand against them. And they killed the Amorites, which was a neighbor to Moab. So now they're at the, at the edge of Moab and he's thinking, he's the king, they're gonna decimate me. Oh my gosh. So he's exceedingly afraid. So he comes up with this plan to reach out to Balaam. Balaam is the witch. So he reaches out to Balaam and the reason he does is for, if you jump down to verse six, 22, Verse six, the end of it, this is Balak talking about Balaam. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. Balak put his faith in Balaam, a prophet, a worker of dark arts who divines. He was called a diviner in the Bible as well. Okay, so they show up, he sends emissaries to entice him. Please come curse these people that have come out from Egypt. Balaam says, okay, you guys stay here and let me consult with God. And I've always thought that Balaam is pretty arrogant because you'll see so many times in the story, he's like, hold on, let me go talk to God and expects it to happen. And it does. Before you sleep on God, he had conversations with him. Before you sleep on Balaam. Okay, so then God says, who are these men with you? And also a little nugget, and you can write this down. This is extra and I won't charge for it, but God doesn't ask questions. He doesn't already know the answer to. So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he sent me saying, look, 
people have come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse these people for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out with your curse. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Don't forget that. God answered what he wanted. Okay? So he tells, he tells the emissaries, can't do it. God said, I can't go. They go back to Balak. Say, he said he can't do anything. He's like, what? Send more money, more people that are more impressive than y'all. Y'all couldn't get the job done. So more emissaries, they're decorated. They're, you know, like, hey, they represent the king of Moab. They're speaking for him and your presence is required. <laughs> come curse these people. So they come back with more stuff. He says, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, please stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Lord's already said. So he's going again and it's more money this time. So here's the picture. You know, we'd like to pay you to come curse these people. Okay, I curse. Y'all know I curse. Let me go see what God said. Oh, God said no. They come back with more money. Well, let me go see God meant what he said. You know, he wouldn't put this temptation in front of me if he didn't want, you know, he needs to talk to me. I need to pray about it. Let me pray about it. Why don't we stop praying for things that God God has already said in his word? You know, let me pray about whether I should go to church. Let me pray about whether I should forgive you. I have to stop because I'll get worked up and I'll say something that might not align with the word and then. So he prays again, the second time, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. He just said no. This is the second time he said, if they come, rise and go with them. He just said, no. Are you asking me again? Fine, don't clean your room, but you're not gonna have dinner. Well, don't do what I said. Are you really asking me again? Don't do your chores. No, Cash, we are not going to Academy to go spend money that you didn't earn. Maybe the most personal story because it's repeated over and over in my life. (laughs) This is the cycle of apostasy in my life. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Right after that, God's anger was aroused because he went. What? He just told him he could go. No. That is not the intention. I told you, no, they're blessed. You cannot curse them. Here you are saddling up a donkey and going to curse them. But you said I could. No, I've given you over to the desires of your wicked heart, which he'll do. There's always choice involved in what we do. But no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. The Lord will always provide a way out. That's in Corinthians, and that's about temptation. 
It's the promise of victory. Okay, here's the scene. So he saddled up his donkey, the majestic steed. God's anger is aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand and I'm reading in verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 22. Took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. He was riding on his donkey with his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a, wall on, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. <clears throat> then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Yes, a donkey is talking. And it's not that funny because this guy's not even surprised. We're laughing, but he just starts interacting with the donkey. Did I tell you he's a witch? And he practices the dark arts. So don't associate when you read the story in Numbers 22 to 24 that he's a man of God just because he knows the name. Because the most orthodox anything in the Bible, the most orthodox anything, what do I mean orthodox? I mean, they know the deal. They don't have to be admonished, corrected by Paul. They don't have to be looking and studying the Bible or Torah or consulting with rabbis. The most orthodox thing in the Bible are demons. They never questioned who Jesus was. Never. But also, jokers can use the name of God to do power and miraculous things. Judas got his feet washed and he was sent out two by two with the other apostles to what? To heal you cast out demons. What about the sons of Sceva? These jokers encountered a man and sought to cast out a demon. And what happened? Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who are you? And what happened? The demons came out and beat the clothes off of them. They left the house naked and beat up. Cool stories for days. The Lord, the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path. Okay, the donkey is talking. Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, he's arguing with his donkey like it's not a thing. And he, he prays for a sword in his hand. Ask and you shall receive. So the donkey said to Balaam, I'm not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in his way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, 
I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me, the way of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam and the error of Balaam is perverse before the Lord. And we jump down to verse 35 and here's what you have. I'm sorry, jump, in, jump up to 34. So Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Okay, so he prayed once. God said, no, you can't curse them. They're blessed. Don't go with them. And he prayed again, fine, go. And then he almost gets his head chopped off. And he says, well, if it displeases you, I'm, I'm so sorry I did the thing, but if it displeases you, I, I won't do the thing. Do, so you, do you have a picture of what's happening here? He's playing church. He's, yeah, he's playing church. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. What? If you jump back in chapter 22, verse 20, and God came to Balaam at night and said, if the men come to call you, rise, go with them, but only the word which I speak. Air quotes, cited God. 35, the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak. This is what's called a, a Christophany. This is Jesus Christ manifest in the Old Testament. He is the angel of the Lord. So he goes, he meets Balak and he's playing a dangerous game. So it was the next day, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. Anytime you see high places in the Old Testament, it's a reference to pagan worship. Rituals, the death of animals and sacrifices are all to pagan gods from high places. Think about it, what did all the good kings in Israel and Judah do that brought honor to the Lord. They took down the high places, idolatry. So he arrives on scene and he's at the high place and they're overlooking the camp, the children of Israel. And if you're looking from a high place and the way they set up the camp, remember if you're looking down on the camp of Israel, in the congregation, they're set up, you see the cross. In the very middle is the presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant is housed, okay? And Balaam's scared, or excuse me, Balak is scared. Why else would he be scared other than they're conquering? Because if you look in the Old Testament, the ancient world, there was always battles and there was always fighting. It was just what they did. There was a time of year where the kings went out to battle. So it was standard. Why else would... Balak would have, been, would have been scared, why else? Because if you're looking from a high place at the children of Israel in the Old Testament, what do you see? During the day, you have the glory cloud, the cloud that is protecting them from the sun. And what do you see at night that is far more terrifying? A pillar of fire that is the presence of the Lord. So, it's probably a case of their God stronger than my God. Look. Okay, so the whole purpose he's there for is to curse the people of God. But you have to remember, God has already blessed them. 
So here's the first curse attempt. And after the sacrifices and the ritualistic behavior took place on the high places, looking down, here's what Balaam says. Balak, the king of Moab, brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks, I see him, and from the hills, I behold him there, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Balak is like, what? What have you done? I asked you to curse them and you blessed them bountifully. Next act. He's like, ah, okay, maybe over here, if we get this angle, this other high place, maybe God's protection doesn't work from this area. We'll try that. It's another high place. Maybe it's in reference to another God that was worshiped there. This is Moab. Their chief God is Shamash and he is worshiped through child sacrifice. And before we say, oh, wow, you know, bloody ancient history, from a spiritual standpoint, the souls of babies are rising up all across this country. So how different are we? So he moves to a different place to try and, okay, apply the curse from here. That place didn't work. This place probably works. And it may have been, and, and I, like the idea here, it might be because they want to utilize the power of another God, another pagan God. Maybe. This is the second prophecy attempt. Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie. Do you recognize that? It's said all the time from this stage. Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed any iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has the strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness, and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Balak. What? I'll translate this. I've done extensive research. He said, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. He said, shut up. He told him not to say anything because remember the purpose of him coming was to curse the people of Israel and all he's doing is blessing them. But not only that, it was a prophecy. It was a prophecy of destruction. Did you just say that they're gonna win the, that's the whole reason you're here. Balak is still in the game. <laughs> Fools, sometimes you read this and you forget your own foolishness because it's on display in the story. Balaam, did I not tell you saying all the Lord speaks that I must do? Here's his third prophecy. 
Balak said to Balaam, please come, I'll take you to another place. That'll work. Maybe it'll please God to curse him from there. Balak took Balaam to the high, to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. This is where they were camped out. Then Balaam said to Balak, build for me seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Okay, just because he's using the word Lord, he said Yahweh and he knows sacred numbers, seven. Just because he knows doesn't mean he's a child of the most high. It doesn't mean he's part of the congregation. He's a witch and he's taking advantage of processes, but his heart has never been right the whole time. So when he saw Balaam, this is in verse chapter 24, saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go out as at other times to seek to use sorcery. And there's the proof text for what he had been doing up to that point. All the seven bulls, seven rams, seven altars, it was all divination. And really, if you unpack that, what happened in those times was they would go to altars, they would use the flesh of the animals to try and divine, to read the future, read the future. He set his face toward the wilderness and Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribe and the spirit of God came on him. Here's what he said. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has a strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion and as a lion, who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. Another prophecy and another blessing, and this prophecy is not just you, Moab, but he's gonna put all of you under his feet. Then Balak's anger was aroused, struck his hands together, and this ends with Balaam's fourth prophecy. And here's what he prophesies, and I'm gonna summarize it real quick. But it says, I see him, I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, Scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. In the Old Testament, you have a prophecy for Christ. In the physical, he prophesies King David that in fact does that. He beats the clothes off of them. But it's to Christ is the ultimate prophecy here. Okay, so I told you guys that Balaam is a reference all throughout the rest of the Bible. In Deuteronomy, we have, uh, what, is, what they're talking about here is God forbids Ammonites and Moabites in the congregation of the Lord. And why would he do that? Well, he did that because when this story ends, Balaam departs to his place, Balak 
departs to his place. And in 25, we're gonna come back to it, but in 25, now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. That's where they were. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people, the women, to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. It's the very next thing that happens and here's what the Lord has to say about it. The Ammonites and the Moabites are forbidden in the congregation of the Lord because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt and because they hired you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor Mesopotamia to curse you, nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Greater is he who is within me than he who is within the world. You have him referenced as a soothsayer in Joshua and he's remembering Remember the tradition. So Joshua is the one that took the land and he was the uh, heir and leadership to Moses. Then you have references in the New Testament. And the purpose of me including these is because in the history of the Jewish people and in our lineage, in, in our story, in the Old Testament, you have all these references to Balaam. So wouldn't it be important to know why that was the case. You have the doctrine of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and the way of Balaam. Here you have Peter in his verse talking about false teachers, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous, practice, covetous practices and are accursed children. They have not, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. It's true, it's God's word, and, and that particular donkey was dumb, but not all donkeys are dumb. Balaam loved and coveted the wages of unrighteousness. And then you have in Jude, the Jude verse we talked about, this is where Jude is talking about apostates. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Balaam coveted financial gain and he sought pagan ways to achieve it. And then you have this. This is one of the letters to the church in Pergamos so you have the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, very old history of the Jewish people, the children of Israel. And then you have all the way forward in Revelation, you have another callback to the doctrine of Balaam. It's, it's screaming at us to pay attention. What is that help define that for us? I thought you'd never ask. The letter to the church at Pergamos, which is called the Compromising Church, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Balaam was divisive in pursuit of that which he coveted. So the way the doctrine, the error of Balaam is basically a little sin is okay. It's okay to compromise convictions. And, and really, the easiest way to remember it 
is the way, the doctrine, the heir of Balaam is that you can be fully worldly and still serve God. Do you look any different? Because this joker was a witch, yet he was using the name of God. He was offering sacrifices of seven on the high places to invoke the opportunity to speak with God. And he was trying to curse the children of Israel when he was told, you can't curse them. So God can use a donkey, God can use a witch, God can use the rocks to cry out. Does that sound familiar? He's God. What are the things that God hates? In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, like placing a stumbling block before the children of Israel, feet that are swift and running to evil, like trying to get that money, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. It doesn't say, and brethren that sow, sow discord among the brethren. It says, those that sow discord among the brethren. Division, divisiveness, the things that you want that you're bucking up to your authority figures about. Who's established authority? All authority is established by God. How does Paul tell the Roman church to respond to divisiveness? In Romans 16, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. It assumes that you know your doctrine, right? So if you can recognize a counterfeit, it's probably best to not study all the possible counterfeits. It's best to study the truth, the true $100 bill. What does it look like? That way you can tell what's different and avoid them. Wait a minute, we're supposed to be loving and kind. Haven't you ever heard about the 11th commandment of be nice? For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So if we backtrack into how to deal with the doctrine of Balaam, what did I say? It's compromise and it's okay to be worldly and you're not really supposed to be set apart, but you are a royal priesthood, spotless, blameless. Peter says that, the Old Testament says that, that's who we are, that's our, that's our birthright. What do I mean by birth? I mean, when Ezekiel prophesies, he says, the Lord will take out a heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. That's your birth, the new birth. It's your birthright to be these things. Okay, Israel's harlotry in Moab. Okay, so here's what God tells Moses to say. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Here's the scene. You have the children of Israel and they're weeping over what had just happened because of all this mess. And then you have a brother that walks in with a Midianite woman in the presence of everybody there that are weeping 
Now, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped, and the children of Israel, among the children of Israel, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. So Balaam taught Balak how to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. What was it? It was women. And the women enticed the men to, into idolatry. And after all that, God is speaking to Moses. Here's what you do. Get rid of them, jokers. 24,000. God is serious about sin. And as Christians, it's not about Listen to what I'm saying and know my heart. It's not about whether or not you know Jesus. It is about that, but that's not my point. It's about your relationship with your sin. That's the evidence. The evidence that you're a child of God and the indwelling Holy Spirit shows you sin and your response to it tells you what you need to know. God is love and because he's love, he must hate I will reference your children, your babies for those that have them, your grandchildren. You love them so much, it's a very natural love and you wanna protect them. But that means that you will hate the stumbling blocks that will lead them away from the opportunity they have in life to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, you should hate that with a holy passion. It's time to kill sin in our homes and clean house. A little bit of compromise here. And before you know it, nobody can tell we're Christians. In the house of God, the backbiting, the bickering, the challenging authority, it's not about what you're passionate about. It's about us in unity, rowing in the same direction as brothers and sisters, admonishing each other, learning from each other, bearing each other's burdens, confessing and loving. You don't have to use a javelin. The point is, is when you recognize sin, we shouldn't be okay with it. First in our own lives and then in the lives of those around us. That's how the church should operate. I ask you to uh, grab your communion elements. They should be coming around. And we'll land the plane like this. Any, any you know, we, we had a lot of time in the Old Testament and a lot of it was Bible, so I know at least that was good. <laughs> any sermon worth its salt always points back to Jesus. Always points back to Jesus. And the doctrine of Balaam is actually Jesus having that against the church and Pergamos. So it's important for us to recognize that. So the Lord in the upper room institutes the Lord's Supper for those that believe, and this is for the believer to partake of the Lord's Supper because it's in remembrance and you can't remember somebody you don't know. So if there's opportunity for somebody to feel pricked in their heart right now, that's the Holy Spirit reaching out to you to accept his call to love him.
to know him as Lord and Savior. But in the upper room, the Lord, before he goes to the cross, before he goes to down that Via Dolorosa, which is the way of suffering, before he is beaten, flogged, spit on, has his skin ripped open, can't even carry his cross, needs help. Raised up on a cross, has nails driven through him to hold him there. He tells his apostles, do this in remembrance of me when they had no idea what he was even referring to. Lord, we remember all you did and the pains you took for us while you were on the earth. And he's on the cross and as his blood is being shed for the remission of our sins, while we were still sinners, he commandeth his love toward us. Our sins built that cross. But while he was on the cross, hanging moments away from defeating death, hell, and the grave, opening up opportunity for us to get the right to be called children of God, he was still saving. He was still loving. And the thief on the cross that looked toward Jesus and knew who he was and called him Lord would be in glory that night. Even as he was looking up saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, Father, why have you forsaken me? His blood was making a way as he absorbed all of God's wrath. That's what we remember as we drink. Father in heaven, we are thankful today. We are thankful for all you've given us. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to come, learn more about you, and seek to be holy as you are holy. And we pray the power of your spirit stirs within us to call us for a hunger for your word of truth, that your spirit would illuminate the meaning to us. And Lord, that we would grow in righteousness as we lead others to grow in righteousness and to proclaim your gospel with our good news boots. Lord, I thank you for being the lion who conquered death, hell, and the grave. I thank you for our heritage that you've preserved your word through all these centuries and millennia, that we can sit here today and learn more about your character and the things that you hate, Lord, and we know that you hate sin. And as Christians, Lord, we proclaim and we want to hate sin. We ask you to illuminate the things in our lives that we should seek to thrust a javelin through, to kill the sin in our homes, to kill the sin in our lives, that we would be separate, that people would look toward us and know that we are different. We are confident in your love for us. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power unto salvation. And we know that we're in a world, Lord, that the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing, but you preserve a remnant and you empower us through your spirit. And we ask that we hear you this week, that we feel you this week. And we go out and we sing of your good news. And for those that are feeling a spirit of heaviness, Lord, you and Isaiah have prescribed us the garment of praise that you have called us out of we Egypt so that we can serve 
we can worship, and we can love you, God, through the power and inspiration of the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, of the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Church, have a great week.